all you fish enthusiasts out there. Whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish, we'd like to welcome you to Fish of the Week, your audio almanac of all the fish. It's Monday, August 15th, 2022, and this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life. I'm Katrina Liebrich with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Alaska. I'm Guy Eero, and this week we're talking about channel catfish. Sweet. And it is just Guy and I today. I'm excited because we've only ever covered one other ichthylorid. That was the Smoky Mad Tom. So it'll be fun to dig more into this family. Uh, There's about 50 species of cool cats that are native to North America. And the family includes the channel cats and also the big blue cats, mad toms, and bullheads. I kind of feel like we have done catfish a little dirty on this show, and they're such a diverse group. People think they're really cool. They're a big common sport fish, and we got a lot of them here in North America. And we've just, as you mentioned, we covered the Smoky Mad Tom, but we've really just put off doing catfish before. So, so Guy, when we're talking about this fish in the context of its family and its genus, what are some of the major kind of distinguishing features that set it apart? There is a large diversity of catfish, both around the world and in North America and the U.S. So talking about distinguishing the genus Ictalurus, you look at like the tail form within Ictalurus, it's going to be more forked than the bullheads. Contrast them with mad toms. I got the adnext adipose fin as opposed to the mad toms. I got the adnate version. And then, you know, really, I think the, the big thing is we want to compare it with blue catfish. And the main traits there are if, if you do see spots, it's not going to be a blue catfish, although some larger channel cats are going to lose their spots. But then you can look at the anal fin, which in channel catfish is more rounded and has fewer anal fin rays than the blue catfish, which has more of a straight line to it and has a greater number of anal fin rays. These guys tend to have a flat kind of face, correct? And I think that's due to some of their feeding ecology. I mean, these guys are eating everything from other fish to, you know, invertebrates, clams, different things kind of in the mud. So I think in terms of how they look, they've got kind of that similar look. And do they all have spines? All of these, like the channel cats, blue cats, mad toms? Yeah, all the North American ones, I believe, do have spines. And that's actually an important diagnosing trait in some species like bullheads. You can look at the shape of the spine, look and see if there's serrations or anything on it. Also, you know, all catfish, they get their name from having those whiskers, but not all groups of catfish are going to have the same number or shape of whiskers. All the North American ones, I believe, have uh, four pairs. Yeah. Kind of got the two nasal ones, the two maxillary, and then you have four barbels coming off the bottom of the chin there. And that's common among all of them. Like you said, your bullheads, your kind of common North American catfish within Ictalurus, your mad toms, and your uh, flathead catfish, which is often a genus all by itself. You also, you, one thing that's kind of cool is they have the adipose fin, which is common among river fishes. In North America, we usually associate that more with your trout and salmon, but catfish are another group of species that have that fleshy kind of fatty fin close to the tail. It's interesting how many fish have that adipose fin. It kind of, it shows up in sporadic groups, doesn't it? And it's, again, mostly kind of river-type fish. You have it in your salmon and all those associated species and your smelts. You have it in your catfish, and then you got it in your carassins, which are like your piranha-type species, the big toothy ones. Hmm. And then occasionally in things like lizardfish and weird marine species. But it does, it hops around. It jumps different clays and stuff, so it's, it's interesting. That's one of my favorite traits of fish that have them.
We know that catfish are almost superheroish with their hyperdeveloped senses. And what I want to know is if you're a catfish and there's a birthday party, how are you going to enjoy the cake guy? Well, I think what you're getting at there, Katrina, is I like to say that if you're a catfish, you could just grab a big piece of chocolate cake and you could taste it just in your hands. And that's because they got these taste buds, these chemical receptors that are all over their body. Now, they're concentrated in the barbels, the whiskers, like people like to call them. But really, they can just brush up against something or have the water, have the chemicals passing by them in the water column and just sense it all over their body. Yeah, and I've actually heard them called the swimming tongue which I thought was a pretty good description. And what I find cool and that folks listening might be surprised to learn is that catfish actually have the most taste buds of any animal. Did you know that? Hmm. I didn't know that. Now, is that total number of taste buds or is that taste buds uh, like a a density uh, kind of thing? Total number. I looked up which animal in the world has the most taste buds and catfish popped up. But obviously catfish, that's a huge group. Maybe is it like the Mekong giant that has the most? If we're going by size. It just said catfish. But it was was by quite a bit. So just catfish in general compared to any other animal in the world. So it said catfish can have around 100,000 taste buds. Some really large ones can have as many as 175,000. And I was looking up humans and guess how many taste buds we have? Do you know? Offhand. Eight. Eight. (laughs) Well, two to 4,000. So... Right. Eight, you only have eight taste buds, cool. man. So I thought that <laughs> I thought that was super cool. Um, the other thing that's really neat, I mean, they can detect stuff in the water, like you mentioned, the water flowing over them. They can kind of get that taste, but they can detect amino acids that are produced by animals and plants, and yeah, they can they can detect those from a long ways away. And I think that's a pretty neat skill to have, especially because of where they live. How low a concentration of like proteins and amino acids are we talking here? I think it was something like one part per 100 million in the water. So wow. a tiny, tiny, you know, just minuscule thing in the water they can detect that. So that's something to keep in mind when you're fishing. So if there's something upstream. They're going to eventually, they'll find it. It doesn't have to be too smelly. They'll eventually get there. <laughs> the other thing that's neat too, I mean, these guys, so they're living in really turbid water, right? They're living nocturnally, mostly active at night. But they can use a lot of chemical communication and hopefully get into sound communication, too. But, yeah, I think these guys are pretty complicated in how they interact with each other. What do you know about, like, the chemical communication of these fish, Guy? Well, I know a lot of animals that got what's kind of referred to generally as pheromones, which are chemicals that are secreted and put into the environment. And I think that catfish, you know, they can identify, of course, dead versus living creatures and organisms. They can tell different species. I'm not sure if they can tell individuals within their own species, but of course they can find uh, females or males that are looking to mate. And I I think I also read somewhere once that they can determine the sort of the social hierarchy, the social status where a catfish is in the dominance hierarchy. I thought that was so cool that they can do that. So yeah, I mean, they can identify species and sex. It also said age and size, reproductive state, and that social status. So that's Pretty amazing stuff that I think would be interesting if we could detect that stuff in our environments, but we can't. Well, I mean, (laughs) so it's basically you got the, 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 you can tell the confident catfish up at the top from the bottom ones. And, you know, they can do that by sensing the stuff in the water. We can do that when we shake hands with people. You go up at someone standing tall, looking you dead in the eye, has a good handshake. You know, they're up towards the top (laughs) or at least they're faking it. Yeah. 
And so. also with sound, I mean, we know that sound travels well in the water. And we've talked a few other talked about a few other fish that can produce sounds. So I was hoping we could kind of dig into that sound production. I know you've you've done some digging into the left-handed versus the right-handed situation with how these guys produce sound. But what can you tell us? Yeah, that was actually something. You know, catfish and especially channels, I've handled a lot of them. And when you take them out of the water, you can hear them kind of making this squeaking noise. And it's like, I don't know what you're screaming for. No one can hear you scream when you're above the water. <laughs> but, I mean, I can, but your other catfish buddies can't. Uh, you think that, okay, we talked about these other fish like drum where they're like kind of thumping on the gas bladder or something like that. But that's not what these fish are doing. They got these modified fin rays. People call them spines because they're very spine-like, but anatomically speaking, they're just modified and hardened rays. And the two on their pectoral fins, one on each pectoral fin, they kind of grind it against the pectoral girdle bone. And that is what produces this kind of squeaking noise. And there's some theories about what that's used for underwater is as a form of communication. Of course, sound underwater is going to travel a lot yeah. farther. It's going to move quicker. So there is theories that's used for communication. And it, one thing that is interesting, though, is what I was reading when I was researching this was that a lot of catfish, a lot of individuals will have a preferred side that they use. Some will use both the right and the left pectoral spines, but a lot of them will have a dominant side. And oftentimes it is the right side. Ah, so it's universal. Yeah. And I guess in terms of what they use that sound for, I mean, one thing could be startling predators. And another thing could be warning other catfish in the area if there are predators. Those were a couple of things that, that I saw. But yeah, I think it's, we kind of underestimate how much fish communicate. I mean, a lot of times you think of them as being kind of silent in the water. But yeah, these guys are, they're actually communicating pretty well across a lot of different senses with each other. I think that's really neat. Awesome. So... Guy, I know you've fished for this species a lot. I know they're, I think, the most fished for catfish species in the United States. I think there's like 8 million anglers or something. So I'm really glad we're covering this fish. But what has been your experience fishing for them? Where have you fished for them? I mean, these guys have a pretty broad range. And I'm just, I, I want to dig into how to catch these based on what we've learned about their behavior. So channel catfish are widely distributed, both naturally and via introductions. So the... They're a Mississippi-Missouri-type fish and then some of the other Gulf rivers down there in the south. But they've been moved around all along the both the Atlantic and Pacific seaboards out west. I've caught them in Utah as well. The place where I kind of grew up fishing for channel catfish was out on the Wapsie-Pinnacan River in eastern Iowa. <laughs> and we fish for them all kinds of different ways. I sort of started off using the stink baits, which I don't know if you're familiar with stink baits. I use the dip kind, but they're these... <laughs> putrid concoctions they can have all kinds of things in them <laughs> from you know that you might rot fish a couple days throw in some hog brains garlic chicken livers you grind it all together let it ripen you get these kind of sponges or tubes and you kind of dip it down with a stick and it's real greasy stuff if you get it on your hands mm. you're not going to be able to wash that thing off just once you basically get in take a shower to get your hands clean before dinner if that gets on your finger yeah you know, it, it's smelly and you dip it in the water and we were talking about how sensitive these fish are. You start to realize after a while, you don't need something that stinky to catch them. I was just wondering about that. I mean, you could probably put something not stinky and they'd still be able to detect it. But that seems fun to have like stink bait and make a big production about it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I've graduated to, I, I then started using just pure chicken livers, and even those are a bit messy, and so now I just use night crawlers, and I find that they work just as well as the stink bait, and also you have the opportunities to catch more fish, because other things in the water, like your suckers, drums, things like that, they're kind of going to go past the stink bait. They're not really interested in that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, I don't think it's worth the trouble. You can, yeah. if, if you want the novelty of it, you can go and buy some pre-made stink bait. But yeah, one thing that I think is cool about channel cats is even though you can find them in a lot of these muddy rivers, you can find them in lots of clear water too. And they're one of the few species of catfish I've noticed that you can catch on things other than bait. Not as well as bait, but I've caught these fish from Willard Bay on the Great Salt Lake, cast in spinners, which, okay, that's a freshwater portion of the Great Salt Lake that... I don't know that everyone knows that, but you can catch these fish on spinners. I've caught them from the Guadalupe River on spinners. I've caught them from farm ponds on topwater rapalas, have them come up and ah. hit the topwater stuff. So you can catch these on artificials, whereas most other species of catfish, that's harder. Uh, and then a lot of what other people will do is you can use set baits. I remember out on the Wapsie doing a thing called bank polling, which is kind of like artificial limb lining, where you go out and you put a big T-post or a big piece of rebar into the bank and put some PVC over top of that. And then you put a nice long piece of rope and hook that into uh, a large hook and put it on the back of a bluegill. And you let those things swim around splashing at the surface overnight. And you go out periodically in the night out in the boat and you drive up and you can catch some larger fish that way, not just channels. You can catch other species too, but a lot of big channels as well. And you go up and you just look for, you, you have a spotlight on the front of the boat and you can just see these rods or well, not rods, but these just big PVC tubes just bending under the weight of a catfish. If there's one there, wow. uh, other things people can do, you know, trot lining, jug lining, Same jug fishing is gar. Yeah. Yeah, you know, jug fishing is kind of cool where you put the bait below a jug and then you go out and you search. It's kind of like hide and seek going searching for these jugs, looking for them bobbing, doing the same thing. And so there's lots of ways that people go out and, and will target these fish. Yeah. Do you have to like wait then? I mean, it, so if these things can detect your stink bait or your chicken liver or worm from like, say, a mile away, are you then just kind of going to place it in the water and let it sit and just wait? Because it, it seems like it would take the fish a little bit to travel. Yeah, so it depends on how many fish are in it. Like the, the lower Wapsie River, where I used to fish, that thing is just chock full of channel cats. And so you can find optimal habitat. Look for wood in the stream. If you have some big down trees, fishing just upstream of that to lure them out is good. If you get any big eddies, that's good. Any place where you can fish above big riprap rock piles and stuff, that'll be good. And I like to rig it up with a, it's a pretty simple rig. You slide a weight an appropriate size weight for the current that you're fishing up your line. Then you tie that to a barrel swivel to kind of block the weight. Tie another end of line, you know, about 12 to 18 inches off the other end of the barrel swivel and then attach that to your hook or whatever you're going to be putting your bait on. So then you can kind of cast in the water, bring it tight to the weight, but the fish can still pull the line through that weight and so you, you just kind of, you're waiting, and this can be anywhere from, if you, there's high, densely packed catfish, you might be waiting all the, you know, 20 seconds before you get a hit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, if it's not the right time of day or something, you can wait 30 minutes and not get anything. But more often than not, in my experience, if you're fishing where there's catfish, it's going to be pretty quick action. If you're not feeling something within, you know, five to 10 minutes, maybe look for a new spot. And you just wait, and 
you'll get small ones come and peck, and that's not it. And you, you just wait until you get a couple nice thuds, and then you set your hook and bring the fish in. And, you know, a fish in, you know, I don't know, size six to eight hooks. I've caught fish anywhere from five inches up to, like, 26 inches, uh, which, 26 inch, that's a nice channel cat. I think the world record's, like, 50 pounds, but generally you're not talking more than... Uh, like like a ten pound fish would be a really good fish. Yeah, ten pounds pretty normal. It seems like good eating fish is like one to two pounds. And okay, that that's in contrast to like the blue cat, which again is a very similar looking species, but that can get into sizes well over a hundred. Hundred pounds. And yeah. So say you catch one, you feel that tug, you set your hook, you pull it in. What are some handling tips? you have in terms of keeping yourself from getting poked or some of the other situations that can happen with a catfish, I guess. Well, obviously the spines, you got to be careful with those. And a lot of times what these fish will do if they're adopting a defensive posture, they'll lock their like peck. Flare them, huh? Yeah, they'll, they'll lock them up, get big. You can imagine if there's a predator, it's harder to fit that into your mouth. And it's kind of a spiny thing to bite down on. It's very similar to what's done by trigger fish, puffer fish. Sticklebacks and, yeah, Yeah. smaller fish. Not an uncommon behavior in the fish world. But this is actually pretty convenient because on a a moderately sized channel cat, you can get your hand sort of behind them and you just grab them behind the dorsal and pectoral fins and you hold them tight. Now, these are generally pretty hardy fish. They are scaleless, so they can be kind of slippery, so hold on tight. They also got this slime coat on them that it will get on your hands and clump up. It's kind of nasty, but, you know, it, it isn't bad or anything. So those spines, so if you, let's say you get poked by one, what happens? Have you been poked by one of these spines before? Are these these fin rays? I have, and comparing them to your mad toms and your sea catfishes that do have venom in their spines and sometimes venom in their slime and anticoagulating agents so you keep bleeding. And channel catfish don't really have that, or if they do, it's not nearly to the degree that some of these other species do. But it's still like you're getting stabbed by a needle. It's not comfortable, but it's not the worst thing in the world either. If if you don't like that, you can also (laughs) kind of lip them. I've lipped plenty of channel catfish that get too big to kind of grab around uh, the belly. They get too big a girth to them. Now, they do have tooth patches in there. They're kind of like yeah. largemouth bass, but their mouth doesn't open nearly as big as a bass. So it's not like you're just getting it on the bottom. They'll bite down on your thumb. Yeah. And so you'll get these small cuts up and down your thumb just from those tooth patches. But that's an okay way to handle them as well. I remember Trent and I were fishing the Connecticut River once. He hooked into a channel cat. It wasn't very big. It was probably like five pounds or something. And I have a really funny picture of him lipping it. And he's like kind of smiling, but there's this look of like terror in his <laughs> eyes too, because it was just like biting the snot out of him. And it must have been that tooth patch was just like, man, it just like, it was on him. He had a hard time getting it off his hand. Yeah. It makes you wonder the people who go out and they'll noodle for the, oh. I'm sure we'll talk about noodling for flatheads one day on this show, but that's got to be, that's got to be rough. That's got to hurt. Yeah. Did I tell you the story about, so we actually, for our American Fishery Society down in Georgia, we, we got this, uh, every year they have a fundraiser where they have a catfish fry uh, to raise money for the chapter and paying for students to go to conferences and things like that. And so they get, you know, a, a number of catfish donated by a local hatchery and they raise them up 
Oh, the students help raise them up over the course of the year in in preparation for the fry. And then at the end, they harvest them, prepare them and cook them for everybody. But I remember one year, you know, we're getting, we're seining out the pond and the fish had actually spawned in the pond. So there's a bunch of like two, three inch long channel cats and they're all stuck in the mud. And I was walking around barefoot. You know, you worry about these, just basically like these little landmines with spines pointing up. And if you stepped wrong, you'd step on one of these little spiny catfish that was all around. It's like stepping on a Lego. Awful. Yeah. Sure. I, I was careful. <laughs> Everyone else wore shoes. I, I just said that I'd be careful. And I was. Do you have a favorite story of catching one? Like, do you have a particularly memorable channel cat that you can remember? Oh, yeah. I remember the one that I called the general. Mm-hmm. I was out there. With my dad fishing the Wapsie, we were on a boat, and we, we were going down, and we were about ready to go to the takeout, and I hooked into about an eight-pounder. And now, granted, that's like 10-year-old me remembering it and calling it an eight-pounder. It's probably closer to four, but it was a big one for me, and uh, as soon as I was getting ready to like get a picture, my dad was taking off the hook for me, and he lost it back into the river. So that one's memorable. Oh. Didn't get a picture of it. Uh, of course, the, the first one that I recall myself catching was down in the pond at the farm and I remember making my cousin quite mad. He's probably about five or six years older than me and he'd never he'd never got I was just chucking Rapalas for bass. I think I mentioned this earlier that you can catch them on top water stuff. I was bringing in these like 20 inch channel cats out of the pond just chucking Rapalas. That was a good time. And then also catching them on spinners. Yeah, just all, all of them. They're all memorable. So, so guy, what's your favorite catfish recipe? Channel cat or otherwise? So fried catfish is a specialty in the South, and it's a real simple recipe. You take the filet off the fish like you would any other, and then you got to take the skin off too. The skin does not taste good. And you cut into strips, kind of soak those in a buttermilk or equivalent. Then you roll it in a mixture of your cornmeal, flour, or various other spices, and then you fry it in oil for a few minutes, and then you're good to go. You've do that to just about any type of meat it's going to taste good and like i say with catfish it's basically a pretty mild flavor assuming that you're not getting it out of a real muddy system because then it might taste a little bit off uh but a pretty mild flavor and it'll taste like whatever spices you kind of put in there i got this one dish that i want to try someday put some hot chocolate powder in there some cocoa (laughs) powder in that mix i call it cocoa channel catfish (laughs) (laughs) interesting I haven't tried it yet. If any of oh, our listeners, <laughs> uh, if any of our listeners want to try cooking it up and tell us how it tastes, I'll uh, give the first three recipes a shout out next time we do catfish. That's hilarious. But um, yeah, if you if listeners have ideas on catfish they want featured, let us know. Well, we hope folks get out there and enjoy all the fish, and yeah, enjoy those those channel cats, and hopefully we'll dig into some of the other species soon. listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebick, and my co-host is Guy Eero. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar, produced and story edited by David Hoffman, production management by Gabriella Montaquin, post-production by Alex Brower. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish. Fish.